Who is ready for the word this morning? Well, you're going to notice that the title is a little bit weird. It's not fitting in with the, uh, the, the theme that we've been doing as we're working our way through the book of First Corinthians. Or sorry, Second Corinthians. And the reason is, is that uh, Joseph just really isn't feeling well. He had some dental work um, done on Friday, and uh, uh, he is not uh, uh, at, at, at great, uh, he's at odds with it. <laughs> so he's not feeling well, and that's why he's not here today. And, uh, but he had already been preparing the message uh, that he was supposed to minister today on the next chapter. So we're just going to put a quick pause on it. I'm going to uh, preach to something else that I think God put on my heart yesterday and, and uh, kind of goes with the theme of, of what we were talking about actually before we got into 2 Corinthians. And uh, I've entitled the message, The Days of Noah. And the reason is, is, is uh, I want to read some, a verse. We'll actually touch on this verse multiple times. But the days of Noah have, has a lot of parallels with what we're going on today. And in Matthew 24, 38 through 39, it says this, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So I figured this would be a, a great follow-up to look at these parallels. As we looked at uh, a few weeks ago, you remember we, I talked about, are we ready? You know, the end is coming. I don't know when it's going to be, but we need to be ready. And the truth is, is that uh, there are a lot of others that need to be ready as well. And we're going to see some parallels to the, the days of Noah. So let's go ahead and bow our head as we come to the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your great love. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Lord, I just surrender my tongue to you that you would speak through me, that we would learn, that we would grow, we'd be challenged. And Father, uh, we just thank you that your word would find fertile soil in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So like I said, there's some, there's some parallels between Noah's day and our day right now. And when we look at the life of Noah, the story of Noah, we're going to see that it's one of, of stubbornness. We're going to see it's one of sadness and then ultimately one of, of great redemption in the end of it. And the parallels to the, to the gospel and actually what we're going through right now in, in, in Noah's day are actually plentiful. So we're going to look, and at Noah's day, the earth was corrupt. This is what it said, Genesis 6, 12. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their their way on the earth but the thing is is that in our day there's none righteous either this is what the bible says romans 3 9 through 10 what then are jews better off no not at all for we have already charged them all both jews and greeks are under sin as it is written none is righteous no not one in noah's day people didn't want anything to do with god they were rejecting everything about God. They were all caught up in their own wants and desires, their own dreams and plans, and the ins and outs of their daily life were their primary focus. They wanted nothing to do with God. And we just talked about that, right? It says in those days, in Matthew 24, 38 through 39, they were eating, drinking, marrying. They were worried about their own life. They weren't worried about God. And in our day, we have something very similar, particularly in the United States. Anybody ever heard of the American dream? Where your, your job and your spouse and your, 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 your two-car garage and white picket fence become the priority of so many people's lives. The material becomes the focus. And the thing is, is our jobs and our families and all of these things become more important than God in our lives if we're not careful. 
In Noah's day, God made provision for salvation. They didn't have to be caught up in the flood. How many know that? None of them had to be caught up in the flood. Genesis 6.18, it says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons, and your wives with you. Noah's family had the opportunity to come on the ark, and I believe that that was extended to everybody. They all just rejected But God made provision for salvation, and he saved Noah and his family and his sons and his wives. And in our day, God has made provision for us because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He's made provision for all of us. How many know that just like the Bible says, the Son of Man is coming like the flood. No one's expecting it, but it's going to become. And everybody has the opportunity to receive that free gift of life and not be swept up in the day of judgment. In Noah's day, salvation was preached. We're going to see that Noah preached for 120 years to these people. And they all rejected. 120 years. That's a long time. You would. But he preaches, for, and, and, and he's unsuccessful. Nobody gets saved. Noah is the least successful preacher and the entire Bible. It's funny to me. The, the least successful preacher is the one that's most obedient. Good thing that uh, uh, our success is not measured by our results, but measured by our faith and obedience. If we're doing what we're called to do. It's funny because uh, uh, Jonah, probably the most successful preacher in the Old, uh, in the, the Old Testament, he goes and, and it, he preaches to a town begrudgingly he doesn't want to go at all he hates it he doesn't want to go he hates the the uh uh, Nineveh he hates all of them and he says I don't want to go and he finally obviously because uh getting thrown off the boat swallowed by a whale spit up on the shore he finally begrudgingly goes the whole town gets saved and he didn't even want to do it isn't that interesting Noah completely obedient nobody comes with him Jonah That's my wife, everybody, playing music in the sound booth back there. She'll be buying burritos for everybody after the service. (laughs) Hallelujah. Wait a minute. That means I'm buying burritos. Never mind. Take that back. (laughs) But Noah preached for 120 years with no result. But in our day, we're supposed to be preaching the gospel as well. We're to proclaim it. That's the great commission that's for us. In Noah's day, the answer was faith. In Noah's day, trusting in God and obeying his commandment. Noah trusted God. He did really the unthinkable, if you think about it. God's telling him to build something that he has no relation to, he has no understanding of, and he just he's obedient. He just does it. And in our day, faith is the answer too. Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The answer is the same. And then in Noah's day, God's provision made a fresh start. All the animals and Noah and his family and his sons and their wives on the boat got to start fresh. And just like us, when we put our trust in Jesus, we get to start fresh. A brand new life inside of us. Amen? Let's get started to take a look at Noah's life. In Genesis 6, 9, it says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Now this is interesting to me because Noah was a righteous man, but apparently nobody else was. 
because they all die in the flood except for his family. So nobody else on the earth is righteous except for Noah, which is an interesting thing to me um, because how do you stay righteous when the rest of the world is such a mess? I mean, the entire world was destroyed. Everybody else was, was considered unrighteous. So what can we take away from that? What is the key differences in Noah's life from the rest of the world? One, Noah had a relationship with God. Noah trusted God. Noah was obedient to God. And that's the thing. Did you know that all who are righteous have a relationship with God? Matter of fact, you can't have a relationship with God unless you're righteous. And we just talked about that. You get born again, you become righteous, and you can have a real relationship with God. Noah called God his Lord, too. That's one thing that I think we miss in the modern church is that we're all good about calling Jesus our Savior, but nobody wants to call Jesus their Lord. And Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? People want to get saved and, and rely on, on what's been termed as a cheap grace. They think they can keep living however they want to keep living. Because, oh, Jesus died for my sins, but he didn't die so you could continue to sin. He died so that you would be free from sin, that you could live in righteousness. And that's what happened with Noah. Noah was righteous because of his relationship with God, because of his trust in God. And as a result, it says that he lives blameless. The other thing I think we can take from Noah is to know that it is possible to live righteously in a corrupt world, in a world that's falling apart. You don't have to give in. You don't have to succumb to the pressure around you. It may not be convenient. It may not be easy, but it's not a requirement to give in. And we see that Noah was also righteous just because of his faith. He was blameless as a result of his righteousness too, which I find quite interesting because righteousness is you're standing before God, but blamelessness is you're standing before men. And as a result of his righteousness, he was blameless before men. Because it wasn't just lip service to him. It wasn't just something that he said but this was who Noah was. He was obedient to God. And as a result of what God had done inside of him, he lived his life in such a way that made him blameless before men. There ought to be evidence of the change that happens inside of us when we get born again. It's not, some, it's not, an, it's not an emotional moment some Sunday morning where you come up to the front of the stage and have an emotional moment. It's a, it's a real change that happens inside of you. It is a supernatural miracle when you finally put your faith in Jesus and you say yes. And as a result, you should see change in your life. You should start walking in that blamelessness in front of men as well. Because that's the thing. Noah wasn't a, a man of dead faith. But he was a man of faith that produced something inside of him. James said, faith without works is dead. You show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. The point was is that if, if there's no evidence, do you really have faith? But in Noah's life, there was evidence. He walked blameless before men. And we know that righteousness comes first before actually being able to walk blameless. Did you know that? If you're not born again, you actually can't live a sinless life. It's impossible because the Bible says that sin has a hold on you. You are a slave to sin. But when you become righteous by putting your trust in God, then you can finally live freely from those things. And we know it's true because one, I think the order here is important. One, he was righteous before God 
And then he was blameless in his generation. You have to be righteous first before God before you can be blameless in your generation. The book of Hebrews also says this is true about Noah. Hebrews eleven seventeen, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteous that comes by faith. The righteousness comes by faith. And it's not the only time we see it too. Remember, Abram was considered righteous because of faith as well. That's in Genesis 15, 6. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. We have to remember that righteousness is not a, a result of, of the things that we do. Righteousness is the result of what Jesus did to put us in right standing with God. And then once you've been made righteous, once you get born again, once you've been made brand new, you can finally live the blameless life that you've been called to live because sin no longer has a stronghold on you. If we go on to verse 12 through 16, it says, uh, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the, the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover its inside and out with pitch. And this is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side and make it with lower, second, and third decks. Now, one of the things that people will look at this story and go, man, God seems to be pretty terrible. He's just going to wipe out the entire earth. What kind of God would do that? You know, this is the arguments you're going to get from people that don't believe. They, they don't understand what's going on. They're going, to, they're going to ask, what kind of God would do this? And even Christians today might think, think the same thing, or, or people that are young in their faith, like, man, that seems like a pretty, thing, a pretty terrible thing for God to do. But if we don't take in the whole picture, we can get lost. That's why you really you should spend a lot of time reading the New Testament before you go back to the Old, because if you read the Old Testament without the light of the New Testament, you can get confused. But we remember here, the one, this is pre-Jesus. This is before G Jesus hasn't died for sin yet. Um, and these people that are living in a, in a debased state, God is still a just God. And the penalty for sin is death. That's all there is to it. God is righteous. God is just. And if he doesn't deal with sin, he's no longer righteous and he's no longer just. And if he's no longer righteous and he's no longer just, then he's no longer God. But because he is God, he has to make sure that he's keeping these things inside of him. He's being true to the, to the characters of who he is. He's righteous. He is just. And there is a price to be paid. And unfortunately for these folks, they didn't have Jesus. Now they could have still expressed the same faith. I mean, we see this before, right? Before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, um, uh, Lot says, hey, if, or, sorry, it was uh, uh, Abraham says, hey, if there, it was Abraham, right? That was arguing with God? Yeah, sorry. So many names in the Bible to keep straight in my head, especially when it's popping in my head all of a sudden. But Abraham says, hey, if there's, if there's, you know, 50 people righteous. Will you save it? He says, yes, I'll save it for them. And he keeps going down the list. If there's even, he goes down, if there's even 10 people righteous, will you save the city? And God says, yes, if there's even 10 people that are righteous, I'll save the cities. And, and there wasn't even 10 righteous people, so those cities were destroyed. God is not unwilling to let people express faith and save them. God has been willing from the very beginning. But when they are unwilling, 
they're going to suffer the due penalty for their sin. That was true back then, and that's true right now today. If you're unwilling to put trust in Him. Now the good news is, is we're not going to have another flood. God promised, it says, I'm never going to do that again. In Genesis 8.21, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. So one, we can know he's not going to do it because he said he's not going to do it. Two, we can know he's not going to do it now because the penalty for sin has already been paid in Jesus Christ. The, the Bible says that while we are yet sinners, that means that while we are all in our sin, Jesus died for us. Sin was taken care of on the cross, all of sin. The question is now, do you receive the free gift or do you reject the free gift? So sin has been dealt with in Jesus, so we know God's not going to kill everybody off again because that would be kind of like a double payment. He doesn't need to, to kill everybody off one more time. Now, to be sure, there is judgment coming. There are people who will reject Jesus, and they will receive the due error of the, the due penalty of their sin. They're going to reject Jesus. Jesus is coming. The second coming of man. That's actually what we're talking a little bit about today. He's coming back. And for those who are believers, the Bible says that we've passed out of judgment because judgment has already been placed on Jesus Christ. But if you're not a believer, you're going to receive. You're going to stand before the judgment of the Son of Man when He comes back. Not because you had to, but because you rejected what Jesus paid the price for you. And then what's crazy about Noah too is he's living with all these people and then God shows up and He asks him to do probably the craziest thing that he's ever heard. Has anybody ever been asked by God to do something crazy? Something you thought was impossible? Something you thought that just didn't make any sense? I know I have. Not this crazy, but crazy. <laughs> but imagine this. This is Noah. And uh, think how he felt. The only righteous man on earth. The world is falling apart around him. And God shows up and says, hey, I'm going to need you to build a boat. And not just any boat. This is going to be an ark. This thing's going to be massive. Because I'm going to flood the earth. And he's like, flood the earth? You know, there are some uh, scholars that study this and, and the, the Bible and the history of the Bible. And they say that there was actually, wasn't even any rain before the flood matter of fact the the dew on the on the plants and stuff is actually what gave them the water to drink there wasn't even any rain now i don't know if that's true you can actually people here arguing about that stuff left and right and truthfully it's not terribly important you know jesus is the important thing not whether it rained before the flood but one thing i am certain of they've never seen rain in a flood like was about to come even if there was rain even if they'd never seen what was about to come and to this day we've never seen it again Basically, God said, I want you to do something, to start something that's going to fend off something you've never seen before, you have no way to relate to, you don't understand what's coming, but I need you to do this. And I bet, I bet uh, Noah was just confused. I mean, I can't imagine they've even built anything this big before, ever. And he's asked not only that, he's getting asked to build something that he has no experience doing. Now, I'm pretty sure Noah wasn't a boat builder before all this happened. And it wasn't just a, a little boat that he's been in. It's, it's not just a little carved canoe. It's not something tiny. This was a massive undertaking. Let me give you a few uh, facts about the, uh, the, nar the, nar the ark. 
says this thing, uh, this thing is huge. It's, uh, the cubit mentioned were the standard 18 inch inches of, of a cubit. Then this thing is 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. That means it's taller than a three-story building. It had a total deck area the size of 36 lawn tennis courts or 20 basketball courts. That's just the deck. It was as long as a football field, goalpost to goalpost, and about as wide. And if you stood the ark up on its end, it would have been as tall as the Great Pyramid of Giza. It was big enough to contain 522 standard U.S. railroad stock cars, and proportionally its length was 10 times its height and 6 times its width. In fact, uh, there was a, a Korean uh, study uh, they determined that this thing was probably about as big as a modern cargo ship, but there was a Korean study in 1993 by Dr. Uh, Sean Won Hong who found no fault with the ark's dimensions. He said such a vessel would have been seaworthy and have been able to handle waves as high as 100 feet. Now this is interesting because nobody's built a boat before, certainly not one that big, and God's blueprints were good. How many of you know that even when it seems crazy, you can trust God? God says there's going to be a flood like you've never seen. There's going to be a storm like you've never seen. It's going to be crazy. And I need you to build a boat like you've never seen. And I'm going to give you the instructions. You're just going to have to trust me. Sometimes God comes to you like that and says, listen, I know you don't have any experience in this, but I need you to trust me. And like I said, I, I don't know what Noah did for a living. He was probably a farmer. We, we know at least after the after the. Uh, uh, the the flood was done about a year after the rain started. Um, we know that he, it says this in Genesis 9.20, Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. So he at least knew how to uh, farm at least. So he was probably a farmer, but he certainly wasn't a shipbuilder. And even if he was a shipbuilder, which like I said, he certainly wasn't, he wasn't building ones this big. This was completely new to him and he had to trust God for instruction. And there are times today that you're going to have to just Trust God because he's going to call you to do great things that you never thought were even possible. And you're going to have to trust him. And the truth is, is I, th I think God calls us to do things that we're not good at because it causes us to trust him. You know, if you're super good at something and God asks you to do this, you can say, well, I can do this under my own power. What do I need God for? But if you can't do it, if you're not good at it, you have to trust God. And you see this all, all over in the Bible where people can't do it on their own. They have to trust God because they're not good at it. Moses led a people he was unliked by and he didn't speak very well. And God says, I'm going to make you a, the, the mouthpiece of this nation. But God, I don't even talk very well. You're going to have to trust me. And he made provision. Gideon was the lowest in his family and the lowest clan of the people in his area and God called him to be a mighty warrior of God. We have David, who was so low in his family that when Elijah shows up to anoint the next king, they don't even invite him to the table. They don't even invite him to, to try out. Elijah's confused after the end. He's like, are you sure this is all your sons? Huh? Samuel, sorry. And I can tell you for me that I was called to preach after I had told everybody my entire life that I could never be a preacher. Oh, I know. Could have told me that before I started all this. <laughs> but I, I told God, I, I remember when I was younger, I, I was uh, uh, talking to some friends. His dad was a pastor. And I said, I appreciate what your, your dad does, but there's no way I could ever be a preacher. 
And several years later, God says, oh yeah. And then me and my wife said, you know what? We're never doing a house church. House churches are creepy. You'll never find us starting one. God says, oh yeah. Thing is, God takes the stuff that you're not good at, that you don't want to do, because you have to trust Him. You can't do it on your own. And many of you think are going to do things that you never thought possible. Because you're going to have to trust Him. And, and it wasn't just uh, Noah getting on the boat. He's not just charged with, with building the boat, but it also says he has to bring all the animals with him as well. It says in Genesis 16, 70-22, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, and which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. And also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded him. You know, if building the boat wasn't enough, now God says you've got to take two of every animal on the earth, and you've got to take care of them. You've got to feed them. You've got to shelter for them. You've got to make sure they're alive when this thing comes to an end. And Noah is on the ark, we're going to see, for about a year. From when the rains come, they put the animals on. It rains for, for five months, and then the water stays up for seven more months after that before it resides. So about a year on the ark. And they have to take care of every single animal. And people that like animals are like, I don't see how this is so bad. But it wasn't just the cute animals. It was all of them. The cre- I mean, there was rats and bats and snakes and spiders. Every creepy thing you can think of was on that thing, and they had to take care of them. And I don't know how many there was exactly, but we know that there was food for all of them, right? Because he had to store up all the food for you and for them. You know what happens when things eat food? They poop. Can you imagine how much poop is on this boat and he and his son, they got to clean all this stuff. Maybe you guys don't think about this stuff the same way I do, but I'm thinking this through. What, is the, what does this look like? It had to have been a mess. And he had to know how to do it. He had to trust God to get him through this. I bet that's all they did on the boat was just feed and clean up poop. It was a miserable year, I imagine. It's like, isn't it bad enough that you're going to make me go through this and build this and do all this stuff? And, but it just keeps coming. But Noah trusted God. He did it. He did all that God commanded him. He was obedient. No matter what it took, he was going to trust God. And as a result of that, of his obedience, he gets a covenant established with him. He makes sure that his family is safe says him you shall come into the ark you your sons your wife and your son's wives with them because of his nature because of his trust in god even his children are ushered in and it's not like they got some sort of free pass how many of you know that that if you're a christian your kids don't automatically get in they have to make the choice for themselves but that's the thing is that when you're a godly parent you're going to raise your kids up in the way that they should go you're going to teach them the things that they need to be te- taught these kids were trained in righteousness by their father just like Noah was trained in righteousness by his father. 
Genesis 5.24, it says that Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God, or he was not, for God took him. And that's the thing, is that Enoch fathered Methuselah, and who fathered Lamech, who fathered Noah. We see a chain of people that trusted God. They were all trained in righteousness. Matter of fact, Noah's the only one left. So we see people that were, and he trained his sons the same way. You know, this is, uh, uh, as fathers, this is the, ta- the same thing that we're tasked with, to, to, to raise our kids in that kind of way, to raise them in the way that they should go. And the Bible says that if you do that, then they will not fall away. But that's our charge, is to raise our kids. That's why the argument that's made, especially by some Christian parents, that I'm not going to uh, force anything on my kids, I'm going to let them make their own decision, that's the, the craziest, most ridiculous, and most dangerous thing that you can ever do. Teach your kids the right way. If you really believe what you say you believe, that if you don't get saved, you're going to hell, why would you not teach your kids that? Why would you uh, do everything in your power to not let them make uh, a mistake in that? It's a matter of life and death. Not just on this earth, but eternal life and death. If you're a parent and you're not teaching your kids the gospel, if you're not sharing them with them Jesus, if you're not teaching them that He's the only way to salvation and they need to put their own personal trust in Him, you are setting your, up, your, your kids up for death. Eternal death. And the thing is, is the world's going to preach to your kids. You better make sure that you are. Amen? So then Noah preaches for 120 years. 2 Peter 2.5 says this, If he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. We find that, that Noah is preaching for a long time. And I actually have a bunch of notes on how they came up to the 120 years, but just suffice it to say that, that most scholars agree that Noah was told at 480 years old to build the ark. He had 120 years till the floods came, so he was 600 when that happens. Turns out that he was told to build the ark before he even had sons. He had his first son at 500 years old, so he was, he was working on the ark for 20 years before he even had kids. But the thing is, is that nowhere in the Old Testament does it say that, that Noah was, was preaching for those 120 years, but if we go ahead a little bit to Second Peter, Peter says this, that Noah was a herald of righteousness. It's obvious that he was preaching to those. Other translations say he was a preacher of righteousness. So we know that Noah in those 120 years was sharing, was preaching the gospel. And I don't know how the people treated him while he was preaching this message. If today is any indication, I imagine they were pointing fingers and calling him crazy. You're just believing in fairy tales. What are you talking about? It's going to rain and, and we're going to see a flood. We don't even know what rain is or it only ever sprinkles or, you know, it's never flooded like that. Why would it all of a sudden do that? You're just believing in fairy tales. So many times when I go on online forums and read stuff, one of the common uh, retorts to Christians is you're just believing in fairy tales and, and, and fathers and, you know, old people in the sky. I imagine it couldn't have been much different from him because like I've always said, technology changes, but people don't. And they must have called him crazy. I imagine too, with the limited experience and knowledge that they had, they just were trying to blow off what he was going to say. You know, today we try to blow off everything supernatural and God's doing because apparently we have science. 
But science isn't, isn't the force that does something. Science is just how we understand things that God has already put together. Where people want to say, oh, there's a natural explanation. God naturally created this world. And that's how this stuff works. But the thing is, 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 is in the last days, they were pushing him off. In Peter's days, they were, they were thinking the same way. Second Peter 3, 4 says, they will say, where is the promises of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. This was the argument they were making to Peter, saying that Jesus isn't going to return. When is he going to return? It Obviously, it hasn't happened yet, so it's not going to happen. Isn't that a silly thing? If it hasn't happened yet, it hasn't happened. It's not going to happen. But they disregard, I imagine they disregarded his preaching because they'd never seen it before. And unfortunately for them, it was too late before they saw the truth of his words. You know, that's the thing that's going to happen today is, is people are going to either respond to or reject the gospel. But if they reject it and they call it fairy tales, they call it lies, they're going to know the truth one day. But it'll be too late. And like I said, this is a story of stubbornness and pain. Much like the story that's going to happen when, when Jesus comes back here today. People are being stubborn. They weren't listening to Noah. They wouldn't hear Noah. And they paid the price in the end. And they all drowned. I imagine Noah felt a lot of pain as he looked around and he saw his countrymen ignoring his warning. And when the floods came, I imagine that he looked around and, and saw people dying. And it pained him to see that these people could have just listened. They could have responded. They would have had an opportunity. They had the opportunity. If they would have just said yes, they could have been right here with me. And I know that God felt pain because even though these people were a mess, God still loved them. But God has to be righteous. It's just like when we begrudgingly punish our kids when they do stupid stuff. You know, it's always, uh, when I was a kid, you know, it was always joked about that it hurt them more than it hurt me, which didn't make any sense because when I was a kid, it felt like it hurt me way worse. But as a parent, you begin to see what that all means. And you begrudgingly punish your kids because you, and discipline your kids because you want them to grow and be better, to have a better outcome. And unfortunately, God had to, to be true to who he was, righteous and just. I can't imagine it's a good feeling for God. But just like Noah was a herald of righteousness, do you know that each and every one of us are called to do the same thing? Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20. Today, so much as the great omission instead of the great commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Not just converts, but disciples. That means we need to get people saved and then train them and teach them and walk with them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Like I said, like Noah was a herald of righteousness, we're called to be heralds of righteousness as well. We're called to go. And the cry of each and every one of our hearts should be, here I am, send me. God, what do you want me to do? Even if it's crazy, even if it looks too hard, even if I have no experience, here I am, send me. Because like the time of Noah, there is judgment coming. 
And we can all see the signs around us. We talked about a few weeks ago when I said we need to be ready that we can see the signs of the times. We don't know the exact day or hour, but things are changing. Things are getting worse. The times of the signs are becoming evident. And I don't know if it's going to happen in, in a year or a hundred years or another 2,000 years, but we need to be ready. And part of that being ready is not just for us, but we need to have it on our hearts to make sure that others are ready as well because they have an opportunity. And unless people hear this message of peace, if they're not given the opportunity to respond, then they're going to perish. They're going to be swept up in the flood when the Son of Man comes. We have a responsibility. And we may run into those who claim that it's just a story or it's just a fairy tale, but that doesn't mean we stop. It doesn't mean we give up. We might give up in the moment if they completely reject it, but we continue to pray for them. And we hope that we've planted a seed and maybe we'll get another opportunity or somebody else will get an opportunity, but we pray that they will all say yes, that they will all come to the knowledge of the truth. And we're going to run into people that say that we're, we're crazy and we can't back up what we're saying with science or any of those things. You know, they're going to, they're going to come against us. Or they're not going to be able to see with their limited knowledge or their limited experience the truth of what God is wanting to do in their lives. But we can't give up. We can't stop. We have to keep pressing on. Because the thing is, is they will see one day. Philippians 2, 9-11 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed him on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The reality is, is they're all going to bow the knee one day. They're all going to call Jesus Lord. The problem is, did they do it willingly when they had the opportunity? Or were they put on their knees when there was no choice and it was too late? Because that's all we have is this lifetime to say yes. But the moment that they step into eternity, whether they die naturally or whether the Jesus comes back, then it's too late but we have an opportunity to share with them now. We have an opportunity to preach the gospel, and I don't know if we're going to preach our entire lives unsuccessfully or if we're going to have great success, but the reality is, is that the success is not our responsibility. The preaching is our responsibility. And thank God for that. I'm so thankful that God hasn't made people saying, yes, my responsibility. Only preaching, because I can do the preaching. I can't make people say yes. That is our responsibility. And it might not be easy. Things might get tough. Think about Noah. God says, build the boat. He goes and it makes it. Spends 120 years building this thing. The blueprints are good. It is seaworthy. But did you know that he still had to weather the storm? God made a way for provision, but he still had to weather the storm. It says, the flood in verse 17, Genesis 7, 17 to 24, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark. It rose high above the earth and the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole earth were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was, breath, was the breath of life died. And he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, and they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah left, was left and those who were with him on the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth for a hundred and fifty days." You see, just when you thought that beginning to trust God was, was the end, 
Nope, it keeps going. You've got to continue trusting God through all of it. And just because God made a promise to Noah that he would make a new covenant with him doesn't mean that they didn't have to weather this crazy storm. Matthew 5.45 says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for that makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rains on the just and the unjust. See, the reality is, is that when we step out in faith, sometimes water, the water is going to rise. Sometimes it's going to get tough. Sometimes the wind is going to pick up a little bit. You know, yesterday I, I uh, brought all my stuff after the men's meeting. I was going to go for a ride from here. And uh, when I go for a ride, I like to watch the weather. And when the wind is anywhere up to about 10 miles an hour, I'll go out and ride my bike. 15 miles an hour, it's going to be tough. 24, 25 miles an hour, which is the worst I've rode in so far, and I've decided not to do it again. It was really rough. You know, when the wind comes, sometimes it gets hard. Now, thankfully, when I ride my bike, I can say, you know what, I'll just ride later when the weather sets. It's going to be back down to normal. But when the wind picks up, when you're trusting God, sometimes you have to weather the storm, and you have to go through it all. Storms, water rising, animals pooping, the whole thing, just a giant mess that they're going to have to go through. And sometimes, along with your faith, and by sometimes I mean all the time, you have to tie it with patience. Because sometimes it takes a while. And sometimes, like Noah, you're going to deal with seasick animals and seasick families. And you're going to deal with the, the looking out and not seeing anything for miles. No end in sight. You know, we, we know the end of the story. We know how long it took. We know that ultimately it rained for about five months and it, and, uh, it took seven months for the water to recede. So they were on the boat for about a year before they could get out. We know that now. He didn't know that when he was on the boat. He said to keep trusting God. Keep putting faith in Him. I imagine that there were points when he had to deal with fear and doubt and things pushing back against him. And you know, when you're trusting God, when you're walking through life, fear sneaking up on you is, is not the end of the world. It's what you let that fear do in your life. Do you entertain it or do you put your eyes back on God? I like to describe it as, as which is stronger, your faith muscle or your fear muscle? Which one are you working out more? Just because fear begins to creep in in your life doesn't mean that you have to let it stay. And we find that a year later, Genesis 8, 13-19, in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. And then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. And bring out with you every living thing that is a view of all the earth, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. They may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And so Noah went out, and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, and every beast, and every creeping thing, and every bird, and everything that moves on the ark went out by families from the ark. Finally, after one year, the water recedes. The earth is finally dry enough that they can open the doors. And in the end, God was faithful. No matter how hard it was, no matter how long it took, no matter how much storming, no matter how much stuff going on, God was faithful in the end. And when we put our trust in God, He is always going to be faithful. David said He's never seen the righteous forsaken. 
And the New Testament, it says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We have that, that promise from him that he's not going to leave. And with God, the thing about the promises of God, it's never about if, it's always a matter of when. And it may not happen as we want. You know, when, when uh, Noah was getting this, this uh, instructions from God, he was obedient, he was faithful, and he did it. But uh, I bet he wished it could have been done a different way. You know, I wonder if he was uh, wondering uh, if something else could be done. Could maybe just God take care of it? You know, remember, I mean, we know that God does that sometimes. Remember the, the first tablets God just gave them to Moses. It wasn't until he broke them that he had to make the stone tablets himself. You know, and we wonder, why doesn't God do stuff that? Why didn't God just provide an ark? It's not beyond the capability of God. But God uses us. He, puts a, 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 he gives us the opportunity to trust him. And it's not always easy, and it's definitely not always in our timing. You know, I always think about this church and how things went. And I remember when we first opened the doors in my house, I just knew we were going to be, they all told me, you know, you're just going to have to persevere, keep going, keep trusting God. And uh, I said, I hear you, I hear you, but secretly in my head, I'm like, I'm going to open the doors and just going to have to beat them. We're not going to have enough room for everybody. I'm going to have to turn people away. Not quite what happened. You see, my, uh, the, my, my vision of where I wanted the church to go was good, but my timing was a little bit off. You know, God, and thank God he doesn't do things how we always want him to do things. Then I figured, man, if I just get in a building, then we'll be able to have to beat him off with a stick. And you guys have been with us for a while. We've been growing, but it's been a slow, steady burn. And uh, in my head, I always thought it would be faster. But God has provided every step of the way, and I'll continue to trust him no matter what, because he has provided and he has made a way. And the problem is, is that our timing sometimes is not quite what God's timing is. Our intentions can be good. Timeline, not so much. But if we continue to trust God, he is faithful. And he will get us there no matter what things are going, how things are going. In 8, 20 through 22, it says that Noah built an altar to the Lord. And he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. You know, after it's all said and done, God makes a covenant with Noah on behalf of all men. He says he's never going to do this again. And instead of dealing with the sin of man, because how many know that the sin of man is still there? That's what he says. The intention of a man's heart is evil from his youth. We're born broken. That is still there. The, the same thing that caused the reason for the flood is still there. But God says, I'm never going to send a flood again. And he could do that because he was going to send his son to pay the penalty for that sin. And it's such an amazing thing to me because the flood just wiped away the, the, the evil people, but it didn't fix the problem. And the same with us. God could have just wiped away our sin, maybe turned his back on it, any other way of doing it. Well, well actually, he couldn't because then he wouldn't be God because he has to be righteous. He has to be just. But God doesn't just find a way to forgive our sin, but he finds a way to make us brand new. He doesn't just bandage the problem. He makes us brand new and he fixes the root cause of the problem so that no longer 
Are we stuck evil? No longer does sin have a hold on us. We're not in bondage to sin any longer because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. So just like with Noah, when we say, yes, a covenant is made with us, that has given us a fresh start, has made us a brand new. Just like here, they were starting out fresh. The earth had been destroyed, but they had a new hope. They had a new opportunity. When we receive Jesus Christ, we're starting out fresh. We have new hope. We have new opportunity, and we're no longer in bondage to the sin that held us down. We'll go ahead and end here today. Matthew 24, 37 through 39. We've read it a couple times so far. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. It's interesting to me that it says that Noah was a herald of righteousness. He was preaching to them, but it still says they didn't know it was coming. But the thing is, that's happening right now. Christians all across the world are preaching the gospel, saying, hey, it's coming. You need to be ready. You need to say yes to Jesus. We want something better for you. We don't want you to perish. We love you, and we want you to say yes so that you can have everlasting life, that you can have every single one of your sins washed away, that you can be forgiven. But the thing is, the Bible still says it'll be, so will be the coming of man. It says they were unaware. But there had to have been a choice to be unaware. They were told by Noah, today's day, people are being told all the time, but they're still rejecting the truth. They're still rejecting the offer of salvation. And they're going to be unaware when it comes, when Jesus comes back, and they're going to stand and say, but God, we didn't know. And he's going to say, you did. You had the opportunity, but you rejected it. And the thing is, is that there's people all around us right now that are going to be swept away when Jesus comes back if we don't do our part. You know, a few weeks ago I said we need to be ready. And I was talking about us. We need to make sure that we're pressed into God. We need to make sure that we're focused on Him. We need to pray that we can remain strong no matter what is happening. But you know what? We have been given a great commission to preach the gospel so that others can be ready as well. It's coming. You know, the, to use the analogy, the flood is coming. Jesus is coming back. People will be swept away. The question is, we have given them the opportunity to say yes. And that's our job. Our job isn't to make them say yes. Just to give them the opportunity. So I would encourage each and every one of you to, the, the men's meeting, John challenged us men to, to be bold, to be strong, to actually get back up again. Seems like particularly with this stuff going on with COVID, all of us have gotten complacent. And he challenged us to get up, and I want to challenge you to do the same thing. There are people's eternity that's depending on you to say something. And if you don't have all the answers, that's okay. Invite them to church. Bring them here. Just let them know that God loves them and that he died for them so that they could be made brand new, so that they could have eternal life. But let's make sure that we are not failing in our, our duty, that we're not being disobedient, but instead being obedient to the Great Commission. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Hallelujah. Well, one thing is certain is that 
Jesus will be coming back. And the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. It's to say yes to Him. To thank Him for giving His life for you. And you only have a certain amount of time to say yes. If Jesus comes back, it's till that is. And we don't know when that's going to be. And should Jesus tarry, you have to you breathe your last to say yes. And we don't know when that's going to be. How many people have died instantaneously and didn't know it was coming? Think about the, uh, the explosion in, in uh, was it Beirut or Belarus? It was Beirut. Think about the people in that explosion. They didn't know that day was going to be their last day. I remember when I was younger, when I first got saved, I was young to it. I hadn't quite figured it out. Sin was still uh, tempting me left and right, and I kept thinking, man, if I just knew so I could, I could ask Jesus in my heart at the last moment so that way I could live how I want to live now but still be saved. I realize now, looking back, that was folly. That was actually a silly choice, but the truth is, is that if you live in sin, it destroys you. But we don't know when the end is coming. You never know when it's going to be your last. And you have an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He will make you right with God. He will give you a brand new spirit inside of you so that you're no longer at odds with God. You're no longer His enemy. And not only that, sin no longer has any grip on your life and you can finally live the life that God called you to live. So whether you're in here or you're online right now listening, if that's you this morning, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you want to be right with God, if you want to ensure that you are going to spend eternity with Him and that you're not going to be forced to bow the knee to Jesus in the end when it's too late, or you'll spend an eternity away from God, in hell is what the Bible says, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then just say yes now. And it's a simple thing. You just put your trust in Jesus Christ. If they thank you for saving me. So if there's anybody here, either in this room today or anybody online that's never said that, that's never received Jesus Christ into your heart, I just want, I just want everybody to say this prayer with me right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying the death that I should have died. Thank you for paying the price for me. And from this day forward, I call you my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.